When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. August 26 brings us episode 83. We'll just ahead dollar store with the latest worry about empty shelves for the holidays. Plus, we'll look at a software company poised to benefit from the infrastructure bill. And a technology services company performing digital surgery on itself. We'll talk to Eric Hutto of Unisys. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all with an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And have you seen the comment section, the things people are saying about The Drill Down on your favorite podcast platform? Maybe not. Well, go there, leave a message, and say what you think about this Drill Down podcast let the world let let the world know why you like what we're doing, and let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod, and connect with us directly at our website bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind the stocks and the move, and we've got the three most important developments in the world of business today with executive producer Isaac Webster. Hey, Corey, let's start with Taiwan Semiconductor. A big story here. The world's largest contract chip maker is raising prices by as much as 20%. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The higher prices will generally take effect later this year or next year and could result in consumers, of course, paying more for electronics. Apple is one of Taiwan Semiconductor's largest customers. The price increase increases may push down demand and preserve supply for customers who have no other choice. And the higher income, of course, may help Taiwan invest in new capacity. The company has said it plans to spend a total of $100 billion over the next three years on new factories and equipment, as well as research and development. Yeah, so um, this is, you know, that crucial part of the supply chain that we've seen across the world slowing down everything from the manufacture of computers to to um, automobiles to, you know, things that have been surprising us. Peloton, in fact, talking about it when they reported earnings after the close today. All right. Now the education department is approving another $1.1 billion in loan forgiveness request this time from former ITT Technical Institute students who say they were swindled by the now defunct chain of schools. The loans of 115,000 former ITT students are being forgiven. And since President Biden took office, the department has discharged $9.5 billion, affecting over 563,000 borrowers. Yeah, the Trump administration um, did a lot to loosen the requirements of these for-profit institutions that were using, you know, government-guaranteed money for student loans. Um, And, you know, Obama administration sort of got involved a little bit late, but got involved trying to tighten up the requirements there as part of a bigger battle about what kind of advertising uh, those companies should do and what the student success rate, rate should look like, especially when there are student loans that are backed by the federal government. And finally, let's get to Lordstown Motors. We've talked a lot about that company's 
uh, problems in yeah. this in this podcast. Now Lordstown Motors says Daniel Ninavaji has joined the electric truck startup as chief executive and a member of the board. He's now Ninavaji is a longtime automotive industry executive and one-time lieutenant to billionaire Carl Icahn. As of June 30th, though, Mr. Icahn, the billionaire activist investor, as we all know, has didn't hold a stake in Lordstown. Lordstown Motors plans to begin production of electric pickup trucks next month. But uh, late last spring, you may remember, Lordstown Motors said that it lacked the funds to start commercial production. So um, we'll see what goes on over the next weeks or so. And to be clear, this guy's not totally a finance guy, right? He's he was uh, he's a board member at Hertz for seven years. He's a um, Icon Automotive Group, but he was which is you know Carl Icon's holding. He was the CEO of that. So he had some experience in the auto business, but well, he's got, yeah, he's got a lot of, he's, yeah, he's got a lot of actually experience in the automotive business. So, you know, we'll see if he can do something with Lordstown, but TBD. <laughs> Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree uh, trades under DLTR. Shares fell 12% today and have fallen 10% in a year. What's new with Dollar Tree? Yeah. And I think we're, we're at a point, you know, we talked about this with retailers yesterday where when the consumer is so flush with cash, when credit card balances are at multi-year lows, when there's been a tremendous amount of stimulus in the economy, you can expect that most retailers should be doing well. And if they're not, they've got some serious problems that may be of their own makings. Well, Dollar Tree reported sales were up 1% to $3.3 billion. Um, uh, so not a big move from last year. Of course, Dollar Tree stores were able to be open to some extent la- uh, this time last year. Same store sales basically flat, down 0.2%. Their family store, uh, dollar stores, down 2.1%. Uh, and so, you know, really not showing much growth. And they're talking on the conference call about surprising uh, problems with the global supply chain, pr- surprising freight costs, uh, surprising inability to fill the shelves uh, in the fall. And they're saying the surprises are over, but there were some questions on the conference call in the wee hours this morning saying, hey, if you got surprised once, twice, three times this quarter, why would it think you're not going to get surprised again? Why are we supposed to believe this guidance? Here is the CFO, Kevin Wampler. So obviously, as always, when we uh, give a forecast, we use the best information we have. um, And what we know about our business, um, in this case, what we know about the external factors, and, um, you know, the changes, uh, and again, it's very dynamic as, uh, you know, anybody would tell you. And again, but I don't know that we, we can with hundred percent certainty say that it won't change. Um, you know, there could be another COVID outbreak. There could be a lot of different things that could affect it. Um, I just think you have to think about the fact that it is probably the most dynamic thing, uh, we may have ever seen as it relates to you know, that marketplace. And, um, but again, we always put it together with the idea of what do we know? Um, how we're thinking about it. And, uh, you know, do we, you know, and this is our best estimate at this point in time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm hoping, you know, in the sense that uh, we have it uh, tight this time, but uh, there, are, there are never any guarantees in this type of thing. Did you hear that crash in the background? I assume that was someone saying, an investor relations saying, break glass in case of emergency. Because the C- <laughs> CFO just said, oh my God. I'm, I'm hoping we got the forecast right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as, as you mentioned, uh, 9% decline in the stock after that conference call today, uh, not inspiring the most confidence with their forecasts and their worries about the ability to fill the shelves. They they had some kind of confusing metrics during the call about 
what percentage of their orders were going to be fulfilled and how they were going to be shipped. Um, but it sounds like I, I'm, I'm going to be listening to these calls, you know, every day as to how uh, inventory problems are manifesting themselves. Because, you know, yesterday we had the Urban Outfitters CF, CEO saying, I just want to get anything to sell. And now you yeah. have these guys saying something like 65% of their goods are going to arrive in the way that they want. And they were kind of hoping. Right. For no more surprises. Um, it's, it'll be an interesting uh, fall and, and winter season. And as we talked about yesterday, hope is such a fun thing to hear from a company executive. Hope is not a plan. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? So Isaac, when I look out my window here in the Ferry Building in San Francisco, there are two public companies about 100 yards from me. I can't decide which is closer. Prologis to my north and Autodesk uh, to my west. Uh, and so Autodesk reported uh, second quarter earnings today. Autodesk. All right. Autodesk trades under ADSK. Shares fell 9% today, but they've gained 25% in a year. So uh, as you look out your window, what are you seeing from Autodesk? No one's on a ledge. It wasn't that bad. They reported pretty okay, good. It looked like it oh to me. No. So it I didn't expect you to make that joke. I, uh, I like this one. It's a beautiful building. I mean, beautiful ledges. Um, yeah. Revenues not up. Something, not something to joke about, right? Not something revenues to joke about. Revenues up. It's too late. Revenues up 16% to about a billion dollars in a quarter. 1.1 billion, if you want to know. Uh, gap operating profit, 14% increase. Um, their non-gap, they call it only two percentage point increase. Uh, oh, sorry was up two percentage points to uh, 31% growth. And they raised their guidance for revenues. They raised their guidance for margins. But um, they, with uh, the CEO, uh, Andrew Nagnost, I always have trouble with his name. Um, Andrew sounded, he sounded kind of tempered in his response. And lots of good things for happening are happening for us. We're in the places that we want to be. We don't know when the business is going to show up. It might take some time. Specifically, one of the analysts asked him some questions about the infrastructure bill. So Auto, Autodesk's um, um, software helps them design um, uh, buildings, helps them design physical infrastructure, helps them design the kinds of things that we expect to be designed with the money spent from an infrastructure bill. They're saying they're not seeing the business yet, but they talked about all the acquisitions that they've done, some recent partnerships that they've done, and whether it's road or rail or buildings, uh, they're in a good position going forward. Here's the CEO. Places we have to build better across the board. And we believe that our tools, our capabilities, the digital platforms we're deploying are going to help people build better. And when you look at how we're positioned to capitalize on this, which I can talk to you about, is look, we, we have got the, the solution that goes from end to end with the owner, with the um, capital planning engagement, all the way to the use engagement with the vertical and horizontal components of, of construction and, and BIM in between. And I, I want to point to you some of our, our recent partnerships and acquisitions. On road and rail, we partner with Orgo to go after Department of Transportation to help with the capital planning. We bought Innovise, which has a capital planning tool uh, up front in the water infrastructure process. And we also have uh, Spacemaker, which uh, you, we, we haven't talked a lot about, which helps in the real estate development side from, from the capital planning and, and allocation there. So we're, we're actually building out capabilities in the upfront through partnership and through technology. And then we have all this capability that we've integrated into the construction cloud as well to help with vertical and horizontal construction. So we're ready 
uh, we're, we're, we've invested in the places that we think are critical and, and we think people need to invest in digital technology to not only build what needs to be built, but build it back better and build it back cheaper so that we can start closing out the backlog because there is a big backlog. So there will be opportunity here. It will be long-term opportunity for the company. It won't be short-term, but there will absolutely be opportunity as people start to spin up these infrastructure projects. So I think that's a, you know that's kind of the message you had throughout the conference call, which is that we're set up for good things. We're raising our guidance. We just reported a really strong quarter, but don't look for it all to come in the third and fourth quarter right now. We're looking for a long-term growth here. Corey, what is your next drill down? Pure Storage. Pure Storage. I'm not familiar with this company, but it trades under PSTG. Shares rose 13% today and they've gained 54% in a year. So Pure Storage seems to be doing something correct. Yeah, 13% is a pretty big move in a stock yeah. for, a, for a year, let alone for a day. Um, the company reported $500 million in revenues up 23% year over year. Mm. Um, the subscription services. So this company sells storage as a service, both for um, uh, cloud as well as on-premise storage. But they, they, they install and manage storage systems for data and for companies that are going more and more digital and using, keeping more and more digital files. It's been a fantastic growing business. The company's run by Charlie Giancarlo, who at one point was at Cisco and thought to be the successor to John Chambers. That did not happen. So here he is at Pure Storage. Uh, talking about the things that are driving the growth in storage. And what was interesting for them is, is they, they said that as, as much as they have uh, reported a great quarter and was up, that could have been even better if it hadn't been for work from home stuff where their salespeople and the people those salespeople would have been calling on were at home and not willing to take meetings and it might have slowed and constrained their ability to add logos. Do you know about this concept of adding logos, Isaac? No. It's not how many. It's not how much revenue. It's how many new customers do you get that you can put their logo on a slide. So oh. for those people who do business by every single right. meeting, they come in with a PowerPoint presentation or a Google slide presentation, and they mm -hmm. can't have a conversation without the PowerPoint presentation next to them. Well, the ability to add a logo means that you've closed with a new client, and their logo growth at Pure Storage was not what they wanted. You were going to say something. Yeah. Well, who are Pure Storage's competitors? So in some ways, they compete with uh, Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services, uh -huh. Google Cloud. Some ways they work with them and they'll have stuff that they, where they work with them. But it's, 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 it's this storage. And, but they also offer on-premise storage, which Amazon Web Services and so on do not. So they sort of manage both. But again, getting it into, they think once they're into a new customer, that they'll start selling a lot more to that customer. So logo growth is key. And they think that that was constrained as good as this quarter was constrained by the uh, work-from-home environment that they were, they're still facing. Here's Charlie We Jean do Corley. feel that, um, you know, uh, people working at home, uh, offices uh, not really being open is a bit of a constraint on uh, new, net new logo growth. Uh, you know, uh, despite that, of course, we, we were pleased with the 10% growth we saw year over year. But in past years, of course, we, we saw more. So, as uh, we we believe that as uh, things open up more, obviously that's been delayed a bit because of the Delta variant. But as things open up more uh, late this year, early next, uh, we expect that to actually just improve our our net new logo gains. Um, but you know, in the meantime, you know, our continuation to penetrate deeper and deeper into existing accounts 
uh, to penetrate deeper and deeper into um, the enterprise. Uh, and I w might point out as well that our net new logo gains in enterprise was actually quite a bit, uh, quite uh, strong. So as you might imagine, the commercial logo gains swamp, you know, because uh, there are so many more commercial accounts. In terms of net new logos, uh, net new logos tend to be dominated by commercial, but actually our gain of enterprise net new logos this past quarter was actually quite healthy. Logos. We need logos, not profits, free cash. So we just want logo. No, they, they reported a very strong quarter, and obviously they think they can get their foot in the door. They can start to expand that business. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to talk about digital transformation, a company that's doing a digital transformation for its customers and on itself. Eric Hutto of Unisys joins us after this. Well, a big question for every kind of business is thus, when you're hiring, how do you know who's really best for the job? Well, you can save time and screen for quality candidates, the skills you need using Indeed Assessment. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. Indeed, with Indeed, do all your hiring in one place, even interviewing. So don't just hope the perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools will help you find them. Cutting through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. And with Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to help you find people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill down that listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit. Upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's right. $75 credit at Indeed.com slash drill down. It's Indeed.com slash drill down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right. Welcome back to the drill down. We're joined right now by Eric Hutto. He is the chief operating officer of Unisys, uh, an interesting company, an old company going through some big changes. Uh, Eric, glad to have you. Um, uh, how would you describe after all of my research and all my reading your SEC filings and Listen to conference calls. How would you describe what Unisys does without with it that in language an MBA wouldn't under, uh, care for? <laughs> well, um, pretty innovative company, as you said, over 145 years old. And um, throughout that journey, it has been focused on improving lives through the technology. Um, and that's really what we do. But we do it in a way that helps people enhance what they're doing and excel their businesses. Um, you think about it in a security manner. Uh, we are highly into security, have been for many years. And um, I would say that, you know, if you think about delivering outcomes is what we're all about, business outcomes that people are trying to achieve. Yeah. So let's, um, I, I think one way to look at it might be that you guys kind of come in with a lot of consultants and people to help companies make, uh, there's this phrase that I see too much these days, digital transformation, but really sort of take their businesses and use the best technology has to offer and help them upgrade their systems and their, and their business processes. Is that fair to say? <laughs> That's fair to say, absolutely. Um, and you do that with uh, with lots of people. Uh, talk to me about what kind of customers you help. Well, we're pretty much where our sweet spot is, is in businesses that have high demand, right? Very demanding environments or in governments around the world. So if you think about how the company grew, um, we, we grew through a lot of those agencies and that began to build a lot of our IP. For example, Stealth, it came out of a request 
to help secure the government. Uh, because as you know, we're getting hacked all the time today, but that has not been new. Um, and so a lot of our IP is driven from our clients. They have business problems. From that, we decide where to focus. So for example, we're, we're pretty narrow in travel transportation, right? We run most of Travel Sky's reservation system for the 40 airlines in China. Um, we've developed, um, you know, um, specific solutions for public sector around, you know, family management, wealth, helping people get checks. All of those came from the need of just business issues that people were facing. And we had the ability to assemble our IP and then orchestrate it, as you said, through consultants into workflow design to allow us to move business forward. It's, it's, it's super interesting because, you know, we talk to so many companies here in Silicon Valley. I'm in San Francisco these days. We've just kind of pretend like that blur is right into Silicon Valley. Sure. Uh, the concept is there, but we talked to so many of the, the makers of the technology. And I think that far too often, we don't talk to the resellers of that technology, the people who actually implement the technology. You're, you're in a position to see what customers want and what they don't want, what's hype and what isn't. Yeah, we are. And it's interesting how, you know, what, gosh, I've been doing this since 2006 in this particular industry and in service line. It's changed, right? Back then it was the technology. That's what everybody started with. That's what we used. That's what we built from. Now, no one really gets to the technology question until we understand the business problem. And then they understand well, what's workflow has got to change. So much of what we got our, our clients through is really change management. It's how do we get the behavior of their company to evolve, to actually adopt the technology that we want to put in so that they get the maximum use out of it. And I think that's often too often overlooked. It's important. Um, you spend lots of money as companies on technology and you get about a third of it that actually does anything for you because you just can't get the behavior to shift. Um, and you've seen that time and time again over the decades, right? We still want to have spreadsheets with data dumps, but we've got all this intelligent business intelligent software. Well, why do we still need the spreadsheets? Where's the insights? And it's a behavioral thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think every industry gets that, right? You learn to do things a certain way. If you're lucky as a professional, you have success. And because you did those things better, you start to believe that those systems are one of the things that gave you those, that ability to succeed. And so you want to stick with those old systems even as new things have been updated. I would imagine also there are still, and it's hard to believe when you're a consumer of, of business information, like all of our listeners are, that there are companies that are stuck in very old ways. I worked for one for the last eight years that where they, for quote unquote security reasons, they wouldn't let things like Google Sheets or Google Documents into the organization. When I was trying to log into my kids' soccer schedule when they were little kids playing you know, sports, I couldn't do that with the, the, the things other parents were, were using, but I had no idea how to keep my skills current with the outside world because that stuff was banned at my company. I would imagine that approach is not unique. That is not unique. Or that experience um, is not unique. That, that's fair. Um, look, in a world of cybersecurity and hackers and people constantly getting ransomware, you know, companies swing a lot the other way, right? The governance gets real heavy. Everything gets tighter, multi-factor authentication. So you begin to realize that um, you're doing all the right things, but now the speed of business slows down. Yeah. Right. And, and then people don't want to come. Younger generations don't want to arrive at a company where they can't do what they want to do. They want to be told they can't. Right. How you and I kind of grew up just following the policies. It's a different world. And we have to be able to provide the freedom, provide all the thinking that goes on. At the same time, keep our assets safe and keep our IP safe. But full disclosure, no boss of mine ever thought ever that I was following the policies. There's no misconception, but that's, that's we are probably related, Corey. That's how, that's how I roll. Um, so as your company rolls, I think that some companies like, let's say like a Bain or a McKinsey, when they roll in and look at business process change, 
they look at it from a sort of um, uh, an MBA kind of way of structuring the business of who's reporting to whom and what problems you're trying to solve. I would suspect that you guys do some of that, but do a lot more from a technological capability standpoint. Absolutely. <clears throat> We've used McKinsey as, as well, right, in our journey here over the last six years I've been at the company. And they do have a very pragmatic way. And it's a very tried and true way. But you have to then bring the, the analytics in, right? We have to see actually how people are behaving. And the data tells us that. It'll tell us how people are utilizing their tools or working the processes or maybe if you will, changing the change we want. So you take their methodologies, you apply in the data, and then you have to have some common sense. And I think that's also a secret ingredient that gets overlooked is, look, what do we want them to do? What's the best way to motivate them to do that? And how do we help them be successful, right? What is the technology they truly need to be successful? Because when people are succeeding, their energy is high, right? They're, they're serving clients, clients are buying more, and the engine just gets to roll. So um, yes, we, we look at it very much like they do, but we use a lot of data. And then we sit back and look at just how we want to lead the organization. What kind of organization do we want to become? It, it creates an experience at workplace that people actually can thrive and meet client needs. I'm, I was surprised when I listened to your most recent conference call, because I haven't looked at your company in a few years, that uh, there was so much talk about things that I just kind of take for granted in terms of adoption, like Google workspaces um, and, and, and Microsoft implementations, that that's a thing. What, why is that a thing? What, what, is, what is it that you guys do that isn't just telling everyone to go to Google and log in? <laughs> Well, I'm sorry if that's a, a dumb question. It's just, no, it's I think not. Because it, it, it is how the, you know, so many of the smaller businesses or the personal experiences that people have with these technologies is usually go log in yourself and figure it out. Not there's a company-wide implementation run by Unisys. Right. So one of the things is <clears throat> all companies are looking for ways to reduce costs. So the more standards you are, the more you're on a common platform as well, the less, you know, expenses you have. But what we do differently is we look at everything through a persona. So when I look at an organization, I know that an engineer has certain application needs, certain environment needs. It has certain ways it needs to work. Very different from somebody in finance. So when you break down an organization into those personas, you then can build desktop architectures that allow them to maximize productivity. We put on top of that with our recent acquisition of Unified Square, now the ability to manage the experience in this highly remote world so that we can predict and see an interruption coming in a call, a Zoom call, Teams call. And that is where this experience thing gets to be important. And it's where we're beginning to keep productivity higher. And it's pretty frustrating, right? When you're in the middle of a call like this one and things drop <laughs> and it's an important client. That's one of the things we look at is what's the persona? What's the individual need? How do we make you the very best engineer, very best finance person that you can be? And that's not a one size fits all. Are there um, uh, one or two technological trends that you see across the board that your customers are really going after? You know, we get a lot of dialogue around, <clears throat> you know, everybody talks about the cloud, but that's honestly not as much the conversation. It's kind of a given. It's really artificial intelligence. Where do we apply it? How do we apply it? Should we apply it? Oh, so let's, stop. let's stop there for a second. Yeah. I almost always call BS these days when I hear about company talking about <laughs> machine learning and artificial intelligence, which are basically the same thing, or at least overlapping artificial intelligence as an expression of machine learning to be exact. But uh, what does that mean for companies when they say they want artificial intelligence? Yeah, look, we'll put it in, like you said, layman terms. What they want is they want more speed. They want more responsive. They want things resolved, if you will, if you have incidents faster. And the only way you're going to get that is to, is to get the people out of the way, if you will, right? We've got talented people. We don't need them to issue a ticket and then follow up and send a software patch. 
if you actually build the workflows in and you're using the predictive analytics, as you say, machine learning, it can actually self-heal that ticket. Why do I have to have it to hand off to a person? That's what they're asking for. When they say artificial intelligence, machine learning, what they're saying is, can you make this stuff seamless and make it go without people have to be involved because errors happen, right? We have all sure. kinds of things that happen. That's all. I think that's all they're asking for. No, I've, I've spent a lot of time with the folks down at C3.ai and, and looking at the way they're implementing uh, artificial intelligence, like an oil refinery, for example. It's just mind blowing where they can sort of go through and analyze the entire refinery and do predictive maintenance and figure out mm -hmm. which valve is about to blow and save sometimes tens, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of problems before they happen. So I'm curious how other businesses are using that. Now, when you are impl implementing these artificial intelligence solutions, are you buying things from the big leaders in the industry like C3, like Databricks and others to, to implement those? Or are you sort of writing or bringing your own code or specific solutions to those customers? You know, I'm a big believer in orchestration. Uh, we don't need to go build it. There's people, to your point, that we partner with, and we partner a lot around these very specific things um, because they've already done a lot of legwork, right? They've made the investment. They've got the advanced knowledge. We bring that in and we sequence it with other tools like our IntelliSert platform, right, which runs with IPsoft. We bring all those things and we sequence it and we get a superior experience. We get that productivity. We get that speed. But, you know, very few things these days are not available. Um, and so we use our R&D money very specifically on our IP that makes sense, that actually has an advantage, like our clear path forward platform and our stealth security software. We built those things because they're, they're very secure. They run high volume businesses. They don't go down. That's a value. But all these other individual things that are going on. We're really looking at our partners and saying, hey, wait a minute, let's take it, plug it in and I'll create a superior process and experience. Right. Why not stand on the shoulders of others who've already done it? Um, when, let me talk about change with the New York organization because it hasn't been small. You have cleaved out a giant business, which was your federal business. Um, and it looks like that was because it would seem like a, a, you know, a municipal and a government business. When you're looking at states, you're looking at cities you're, and decide to not do the federal government. It was, seems like the biggest reason to do that was not for necessarily business reasons, but, or, but for balance sheet reasons. Absolutely. <clears throat> this this company was, uh, like many, had a pension challenge, right? And um, if you go back to when I arrived, I think it was somewhere around $1.75 billion underfunded. Yeah. You're not going to get past a lot of things until you figure out how to deal with that. Our federal team was outstanding, and it was a great asset. And we happened to arrive as we, we put more money into it. We got it growing faster, right? And we knew that asset was going to have a high multiple. It was just where the market was going. And sure enough, you know, March of 20, we were able to close that transaction at, at a pretty high multiple to receive the 1.2 billion of cash we needed to go now give us freedom to deal with this pension. With the pension now, as we continue to buy it down, right? We you probably saw our Q2 earnings. We successfully got down another billion to yeah. that. All that out of our way. Now our investors can look at us a little normal. Our cost of money is getting better because our balance sheet's stronger. We can now again acquire companies, and and that's. You're right. It wasn't a business decision. It was that we had to do it, right? We had to deal with our pension. Well, and you also suggested, I thought it was super interesting in your last conference call, that there were customers or competitors who would go into your potential customers and say, hey, don't do a deal with Unisys. They got a pension problem. They're not going to invest in you as a client. They're going to put the money towards the pension and not really come up with the expensive solutions that you need. Having, you know, as I have responsibility for the, the overall P&L of the company, right? Running it and sales and all that. I am so thankful today not to be having that conversation with CFOs before we can be invited to bid. Are you a going concern? Will that really you happened. make it? 
Oh yeah, um, it, you know, look, look at our ratings. Look where they were. It's a it's a prudent thing for companies to do to say, look, if we're going to go have this company run our entire infrastructure, our all of our applications, we need to know they're here in three to five years because these aren't short term decisions. Yeah, we we didn't have that widespread. I don't want to make that the picture, but we were getting questioned on some of the larger deals. Okay, show me, prove to me, give me the path to financial success. Um, and our CFO, Mike Thompson's done a fantastic job of navigating that. And he was out there with me with clients answering the mail. We were able to get past that. People still invited us to bid. We added contract values to the, you know, in the billions to this company during that time. It's just easier today because I don't have to go through that extra step that my competitors weren't having to go through. And we saw so many businesses last year, um, accelerate their digital transformation. My God, I sounded like an MBA myself there, but, but recognizing that they had to do work more remotely and you guys have made a big emphasis on that in your public comments and do more work on the cloud and do more work through e-commerce. You know, we talked about Dick sporting goods on our show yesterday and how much mm -hmm. they saw their, their online, I think their online business was up 111% year over year. That's not where they thought they would be in 2021, but that's a spending that they had to do in 2020 to get there. Are you seeing customers um, with that kind of acceleration of their digital businesses and that you're a beneficiary of that? Yes. You know, we have a really strong presence in state and local still, right? Our public sector business. A lot of what states are trying to figure out, even through this pandemic, is I still have to serve citizens. But now my citizens want to be, they want to engage the way they want to engage. So all of those channels, right? Most state and local agencies, they didn't build that over the last 30 years. You walked into the Department of Motor Vehicle, you stood in line, you took a number, you sat down. All that's gone. So they all had to start accelerating that. That helped benefit us. One, it drives infrastructure, right? You're going to have to have the cloud space, all the storage and everything. But two, the ability to consult and think through the workflow and apply some of our, you know, our applications in there to help deliver a digital environment for citizens. That's just one example. And that's been going through a lot of the states right now is because people aren't coming back into the DMV, right? They're not going to go stand in line. COVID said, yeah, you can't do that. So um, it's been great. Um, a lot of the people, driver's license, just getting out of the process and having all that digitized and communicate and advance notice. All of these things, you know, they're trying to serve citizens on. But it goes more than that. Citizens want to com communicate back to, the, to the, their state. They want to talk about crime. They want to talk about citizen you know, issues that are going on. But they do it through their, you know, WhatsApp and however they choose to communicate. And we have to provide those channels. Yeah, Eric Hutto is the Chief Operating Officer of Unisys. We appreciate your time. Fascinating company. Coming up next, the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. You mentioned all the people that uh, Unisys puts to work to get these changes at big companies and in government. How many people do they employ? It tells you a lot about Unisys. We'll have that number when the Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And of all the business platforms, podcast platforms, you can listen to The Drill Down. You can now listen to The Drill Down on Listen Notes. Check out Listen Notes. It's got some different ways to play your podcast, including Isaac, you can listen to my voice at 3x speed. I mean, 300% faster, Corey, who wouldn't want that? That sounds really exciting. All right, and also let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, Unisys. It's got a lot of people that's throwing at the problems of its customers 
In fact, they had 17,200 employees at the end of 2020. Uh, Isaac, a lot of bodies to throw out a lot of issues with a lot of customers. That's a medium-sized town. Yeah, sure. Yeah, company town. Yeah. Unisys, Unisysville. Probably a lot of PowerPoint slides among them, too. All oh right. Gosh, a lot, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> you've been listening to The Drill Down. We do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.